Good morning, church. If I haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, I hope to get the opportunity in the coming weeks and months here at First Baptist. My name is Angie Yoho, and I am married to Chad, and we have three girls who are now 20, 18, and 16. And around 15 or so years ago, we were looking for a church that was a little bit closer to our home here in Marietta for us and our three little girls to go to. During that season of our life, we were traveling around 40 minutes to go to church at a place, a little church in um, Sayersville, where his parents were attending. And we loved that church, but we wanted to find one that was closer to home so that we could actually live life alongside of the people that we went to church with. Well, during that season, I was part of MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, and I had a friend that invited me to come to First Baptist and see what it was all about. She told me that they had an amazing children's ministry, and that was pretty important to us since we had three little girls at the time. So I talked to Chad, and we agreed that First Baptist would go in the list of churches that we would pop in and see what it was all about. Well, we came here one Sunday, and over 15 years later, we are still blessed to be a part of this church family. Here at First Baptist has been where I have learned to study God's word, where he has fueled a fire inside of me to not only study it, but to realize that I fall more in love with him the times that I spend in it. For several years, I've got to walk alongside of Sue Kuhn and lead women's ministry and then if you were here last Sunday, you know in most recent years, I have joined some ladies outside of this local church, and we minister to women across the valley, encouraging them to get into God's word and learn it and create circles in their own churches, in their own workspaces, and just create community. Most recently, Tony had asked me to be part of the discipleship team here at church, and so over the past couple months, I've been emailing some of our members here at church and asking them who was influential in your faith journey. Well, as you can imagine, the stories were as unique as the people that were sending them to me. For some, their faith journey began at home. They had parents and grandparents that loved Jesus and wanted to teach them about it at an early age. For those that grew up in the church, I read one story that it was a children's pastor who would patiently and continually ask this little boy's, or answer this little boy's questions over and over again. For another woman in the church, it was a youth pastor who provided a safe haven for her when her family life was a little hard at home. I loved reading that for one lady here at church, it was her youth leader, Karen Knoll, that influenced her faith journey. And by God's grace, he would connect Karen and this lady back at church here at First Baptist years later, and Karen would become the youth leader of her daughters. God's pretty awesome when he works like that. For another couple in our church, it was actually their daughter that encouraged them to start coming and I read more stories where it's been the men's ministry or the women's ministry 
or other organizations like Emmaus that have encouraged them to walk this road with Jesus. Still others didn't have a home that encouraged faith in Jesus because they didn't have it. So one of our members that sure shares a lot of her joy here and a lot of hugs, she saw Jesus through the love and care of men that would show up in big red hats at the Shriners Hospital where she spent a lot of her younger years. There she would be able to attend church and learn more about Jesus. Then there's this one story that in particular pierced my heart, maybe so much because she included a picture, and we know that picture just gives more life to the words and the story that we're reading. I want to tell you how Karna White started her faith journey. If you remember a few weeks ago, her husband Jason was up here, and in a very heartfelt, hard wilderness story, he shared how he and Karna had been walking the wilderness with their daughter Katie, how he's often had to lay down his will and step into the will of the Heavenly Father, trusting that he holds Katie even before a daddy and mommy's arms here on earth. For Karna, her parents didn't go to church, and she said she lived out in the hollers of West Virginia, (laughs) way out where you could not see a house anywhere nearby. And she said even the closest neighbors that they got to were all elderly. But it just so happened that one of those elderly ladies would show up to her front door one morning in her little Chevette and ask Karna and her sisters if they would go to the little country church down the road. Now, while Karna's parents didn't go to church, they thought it was important for her and her sister to go, so they encouraged them to go. And week after week, this elderly lady who became eventually part of their family and known as Grandma Ruby, would show Karna what it was like to live a life with Jesus. She would encourage her in her daily devotions and encourage her to memorize scripture. And the picture that Karna sent me was a teenage Karna who had just gotten baptized in the river of West Virginia with Grandma Judy standing right beside of her with a big smile in her face. In each of these stories, we see Jesus pursuing hearts to come and follow him. We see how he uses everyday, regular people with a heart focused on him to invite others around them to simply come and see. They invited them to learn by living life alongside of them. It was the same for the disciples of John the Baptist. They had sat at the feet of John, listening to his teaching and watching how he gave up everything to live out the call that God had placed on his life to make way for the one to come, the Messiah. John 1, starting in verse 29, is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. But before I begin reading, I want to give you a little bit of detail from the Gospel of Luke on the call of John the Baptist's life. You see, even before John the Baptist was conceived, God told his father, Zechariah, your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, 
and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from the mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Scripture tells us that John the Baptist was indeed great before the Lord. He lived out that calling that God had placed on his life by preparing people's hearts through the teaching of repentance and the baptisms of, through water. And he bore witness to this coming light. We've been hearing people talk about it these last weeks, crying out in the wilderness to prepare a way. You see, John the Baptist's voice became the link between the Old Testament, which is everything pointing towards the Messiah, and the New Testament, when the Messiah actually came. He was the one that Isaiah foretold to be the voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist has prepared the way, and now the Messiah is here. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a great gift it is to gather with our church family on a Sunday morning, to be led in song, to reflect what it meant for you to go to the cross and give everything so that we can have this relationship with you. Father, it's a lifelong relationship. And so right now in this moment, I pray that you would open our hearts just to receive another glimpse of your glory so that we can follow your example so we too can point others to come and see Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. I'm going to read in John 1, starting in verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, this is John the Baptist, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. John had been giving his life for the coming of the Messiah, and now as Jesus walks in front of him, he tells everyone around, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, Behold, take notice, don't miss what you're seeing. Here is the Lamb of God. He was referencing the Lamb because to them they knew that Lamb meant sacrifice, and Jesus would be the final Passover Lamb. The only one to live this earth with no blemish, with no sin, to be the ultimate sacrifice for all the world, for all of our sin. 
So here, from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, John is already pointing us to the cross. He said, he is the one who ranks before me because he was before me. You see here, John is proclaiming Jesus' eternal existence. We know that John the Baptist was born before Jesus But we also read at the beginning of the Gospel of John that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Because God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have always existed before anything was ever created. Twice in these verses, it says that John bore witness. John the Baptist was an eyewitness to those he was teaching to say this is the Messiah. He knew this because it says God had told them, whoever the Holy Spirit descends on and remains on, this is my son. And so I can't imagine what John the Baptist is taking in. But as Jesus walks by, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Continuing in verse 35, It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said again, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon the son of John, you are to be called Cephas, which means Peter. Again, the next day, Jesus walks by and John says, behold, the Lamb of God. And immediately it says that two of John's disciples follow Jesus. Well, as we've heard from several people in these last weeks, John the Baptist was an example to us of he must decrease so that Jesus can increase. So John knew the greatest gift was pointing his disciples to Jesus and then watching them follow him. We learn from reading scripture that Jesus often teaches by asking questions because he's most interested in the heart behind the action or the word. And so here at the beginning, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, what are you seeking? And that's still a question that he asks each one of us today. When you come to church on Sunday morning, what are you truly seeking? Are you seeking to follow him? We know from this passage that one of the disciples was Andrew. And it says that Andrew, I'm sure, wasn't exactly sure how to answer that question, so he turns around and answers with another question. And he says, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 
Because although Andrew may have not had the exact words in what he was seeking, he was saying through that question, teacher, I want to learn from you. I want to come alongside of you. And I want to see more of you. And Jesus says to the heart seeking after him, come and you will see. Jesus invites him to walk alongside of him. That's how his disciples learn. They lived life alongside of Jesus. They saw how he interacted with people day in and day out, especially the ones that were seen as outcasts in the society. And they saw that Jesus often drew away in a quiet space to pray to his heavenly father. We also take notice of what Andrew did. It says, he first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew immediately went and got his brother and brought him to come and see Jesus. And Jesus then looks at Simon and says, you will be Cephas, which is Peter. And there he is giving the call over Peter's life to him in that moment that would unfold in the days and years to come. You see, Scripture doesn't give us a whole lot of details about the disciple Andrew, but John knew it was important to include this, that Andrew first followed Jesus, and then he went and got his brother, Simon Peter, to follow Jesus. Finishing out the chapter, starting in 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here we see Jesus going directly to Peter and saying, or not Peter, Philip, and saying, Follow me. And what do we see that Philip did? He went and got Nathanael and said, We have found the one whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathanael, like I'm sure some in the room, has some hesitancy. And he says, Can anything good come from Nazareth? But you see, in the passage, Philip doesn't get offended he doesn't argue with him. He doesn't even give him a theologically sound answer. He simply says, come and see. And then Jesus, in only ways that are specific 
and individual and intentional to the details that Nathaniel needed to hear spoke in a way that opened up Nathaniel's heart to him. And he said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. To follow means to accompany him, to join as a disciple living life alongside of him. To disciple means helping someone progressively learn the word of God to become a matured, growing learner, or helping a believer learn to be a disciple of Christ in both belief and practice. John the Baptist prepared the way and then pointed all of the disciples to follow Jesus. And as we continue to read on in scripture, we see more and more followers like the woman at the well who followed Jesus and ran back into the town to tell everyone about this man who knew everything she had ever done. We see Paul, who used to be Saul, have this immense transformation to go on and teach Timothy. Disciples making disciples down through all the generations and thousands of years, even to the hills of West Virginia, where Grandma Ruby followed Jesus and then went and picked up a carload of kids, and Karna followed Jesus. You see, the gift of being part of this church family for over 15 years is that it's given me an eyewitness account to disciple-making unfolding in front of me. A few weeks ago, Joe Lizer stood up here and he talked about generational faith. Over the last several years, I've had the blessing of watching his wife, Lindsay, come to know and follow Jesus. You see, Lindsay wasn't raised in a Christian home, but she met Joe, and then she married Joe, and they had this precious little baby. And I imagine God had that burning inside of Joe of this generational faith he wanted to pass on to his daughter. And so Joe and Lindsay and their daughter started coming to First Baptist. And she shares that when she was come every week, she was welcomed with friendly faces who seemed to love to see her and her family growing. And over time, I would watch Lindsay start to serve in a multitude of different places <laughs> within the church, often behind the scenes. But then one Sunday, I believe we were over there, I don't know, that's the visual I have. She came up to me and she said, they've asked me to serve on an Emmaus team and they've asked me to give a talk, which will be my testimony. Can you pray for me? And of course, with a heart loving to see someone continue to follow Jesus, I said, yes, I will pray for you. And then by God's grace, just in this last month, I got to serve on an Emmaus team alongside of Lindsay in which she now led a small group of ladies around a table. And she again gave her testimony of how Jesus had changed her life to a new group of people. And I sat there with tears in my eyes, realizing this is disciple making. The Lizers sit in front of us every Sunday morning, and we've had the privilege over these last months to watch the chairs beside of them grow up or fill up. <laughs> you see, because Lindsay, like Andrew, went and got her sister and said, come and see. 
in her sister, I see the same zeal and excitement to serve in this church. And her sister then went and got a friend and her husband and their sweet little twin baby girls who I've had the privilege of holding in the nursery. This is what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, even when Jesus walked this earth, he was showing his disciples that it is a lifelong learning relationship with him. Jesus did everything he could to prepare them for his upcoming death on the cross. He even tried to teach them that it was better for him to leave because when he went, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the one that John got in his mother's womb, which is amazing, but the promise of the Holy Spirit to every believer who confesses faith in Jesus now dwells within our hearts and souls. You see, Jesus had given them the example to follow, and then he simply told them, go and love one another just as I have loved you. In the final chapter of John's gospel, chapter 21, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, but John includes this time where Jesus came and taught his disciples a little bit more before he ascended back up to heaven. The scene is Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and his disciples have went back to what they knew, which was fishing. And they had been fishing all night, and the sun was about to arise, and they hadn't caught a thing. And Jesus calls out from the shore, throw the net on the right side. And as soon as they listen to his voice and follow his example, their nets overflow with fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved leans over to Peter and he said, that's our Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he takes running off to Jesus. And Jesus there in his mercy and his grace has recreated a scene. If you've grown up in church, you know that Peter is the one who was very bold in his faith, but often spoke before he understood how to walk out what he was saying. Peter would be the one to deny Jesus as Jesus walked that long road of obedience to the cross. But here in God's grace, Jesus wanted to teach Peter another lesson in following him. And so he recreates that fire, and he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And each time he says, then go and feed or tend to my sheep. But one little line I hadn't noticed until the last couple days is after he says all of that, in verse 19, I believe, 2119, it says that Jesus said again to Peter, follow me. He's saying, keep on following me, Peter. In the original Greek, this word follow means to conform wholly to his example in living and if need be in dying. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You see, following Jesus means following his example, 
which is a life of sacrifice that's willing, just like Jason testified, to say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I will continue to follow you. It's taking up our cross, which, re which reminds us that we live differently than the world. It means we live others-centered. Here in this community, we are to love one another, forgive one another, fellowship with, pray, teach, and encourage one another. Here in a moment, Becky and her team will come back up and share a song called No Turning Back. Becky is a dear friend of mine who I've gotten to walk alongside of for several years now and also watch her grow in her walk with Jesus and making disciples, a whole brood of boys in her home. <laughs> and she's influenced women. I know, I didn't share this in the first service, but it just came to me. She prayed over Chrissy's family. And in Chrissy's story, she mentions you about how you influenced her faith journey. We're all here to come alongside of each other, and we all need the reminders. This message I'm giving to you is simple. It should be the one you hear every Sunday, but we need reminded, because when we leave here, we need the reminder that there's no turning back. Becky and I share a love for music, because we believe that it opens our hearts to a space that reminds us who we are following. And when we behold the Lamb of God, that becomes our life lived out in worship. So my prayer would be that this song becomes your heart cry in the days and weeks and months ahead. To remind you of the call that God has placed on your life. Because you see, while our stories are unique and our gifting is definitely different, our call is all the same. Follow Jesus. Keep following Jesus. And while we don't have the privilege that his 12 did to walk alongside of Jesus in flesh, again, John reminds us that in the beginning was the word and the word was God. If you want to follow Jesus, there's no better place than to open up his word and learn about his love and his grace and his example that you desire to follow. So friends, let me ask you again, what are you seeking? If you have never chosen yet to follow Jesus, I have been praying that today would be the day you do. But I also want to pray for the people who maybe find themselves like Peter, who a long time ago said, yes, I follow Jesus, but then their actions and their words show that they are denying being a disciple of Christ. I want to invite you into that space that Jesus offers. As we sang, because of the blood he bore on the cross, his love and his grace pours over us. He offers you to recreate the scene because on the other side of repentance is always his forgiveness because we serve a God who loves to dwell among his people. The altar always remains open as we share in this last time together. So I would just encourage you, just like Becky shared at the beginning of the service, some of you may be coming in with heavy burdens on your heart. Allow your church family to gather around and pray with one another 
and encourage one another. If you have anything on your heart, please come forward. Let us pray.